This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast on ischemic stroke. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm clinical director at BMJ. Stroke is common in adults. It is the third leading cause of death and a major cause of disability around the world. Despite this, it traditionally has not received the attention it really deserves, considering its impact on morbidity and mortality. To give us more details about the problem of ischemic stroke and what we can do about it, we have on the line Dr. David Wang, who is Professor of Neurology at the Barrow Neurological Institute, Phoenix, Arizona. And importantly, David is author of our BMJ Best Practice topic on this condition. So David, you're welcome. Let's start off by asking, what exactly is ischemic stroke? Ischemic stroke is defined by a blockage of the arterial system or artery in the brain, resulting in infarction of certain tissue of the brain. And uh, uh, there are are actually different kinds of ischemic strokes. Uh, They call them thrombotic conditions or embolic conditions. Thrombosis is from the clot that is blocking the vessel inside to in the brain, while embolic conditions is defined as an embolus traveling from somewhere else and stuck inside of the artery in the brain. Okay, thank you. And how do you make the diagnosis of an ischemic stroke? To diagnose ischemic stroke will be based on two conditions. One is the clinical manifestation of a patient. The patient would present with slurred speech, hemiparesis, language difficulties, visual losses, and that is one condition. The other is relying on an imaging study. One picture of the brain will be helpful, and that is done by either a CAT scan or MRI. And usually MRI can do a better job because it can see the stroke in a very quick manner that is almost immediately, and also differentiate in small stroke from old and also a new stroke from previous stroke. But CT scan uh, will, will work to rule the hemorrhagic event uh, that can be helpful in initiating uh, treatment. Okay, and I guess in the hyper-acute phase, um, i.e. if somebody has had a stroke within uh, within a short time frame and you're thinking about treatment, uh, is, is CT the recommended imaging modality? Yes, indeed. CT is the recommended imaging modality of choice during the super-acute phase because the purpose of that is to roll the hemorrhage. Hence, if you roll the hemorrhage, you can consider thrombolytic or thrombectomy treatment. Uh, in a super-acute phase. Okay. Tell us about recent advances in the diagnosis of, of, of stroke. The recent advances in diagnosing stroke mostly uh, is in the use of the so-called multimodality imaging system. And what that means is that a, a CT scan not only can detect if there is a hemorrhage in the brain, 
but by giving contrast, we can also tell if the brain is uh, having tissues that is still, still in the salvageable condition after stroke. And in the superacute phase, we often define the core of a stroke potentially could be dead tissue. However, the tissue surrounding the core can be still alive. That region is called penumbra. Using the multimodality imaging studies by CT, CT angiography, or CT perfusion, we can identify that core and also penumbra, hence looking for opportunities to still uh, dislodge the blockage and save the brain. Okay, thank you. And once again, in the acute phase, what other investigations besides CT scan would be indicated in that acute phase? The most important, of course, is to look at the brain by either CT or MRI or MRA or MRI perfusion. That means the magnetic, magnetic resonance imaging or MRI can do the same job as a CT. However, it may take a longer time. So multimodality imaging not only can be done by CT, but it can also be done by MRI. Now, during the acute phase, to make that decision if you should treat that patient or not, uh, other tests um, may not be as needed other than the imaging of the brain. Certainly, you need to do a 12-lead EKG to make sure the patient does not have an acute myocardial infarction going on simultaneously. Also, potentially a chest x-ray can be done especially in the current stage of COVID you know, infection. Make sure there's no other concomitant condition present while you're trying to treat this acute ischemic stroke. And we often do a, something called AccuCheck to make sure that there's no uh, trouble with the, uh, either hypo or hyperglycemia. And those conditions potentially can mimic uh, a stroke. And lastly, we certainly would like to know if a patient with stroke is on any kind of anticoagulants. And if they do, then the use of a thrombolytic agent such as uh, LTPlace may not be indicated. Hence, to check a uh, coagulation study is a must uh, during that acute phase. Thank you, that's, that's really clear. Let's move on to pitfalls in diagnosis. What would you say would be the common pitfalls in the diagnosis of, of stroke? Uh, I would say that uh, sometimes the clinical presentation of a stroke uh, may not uh, manifest as typical uh, stroke. For example, a person may have a stroke may still complain of a headache. And that headache is not usual in ischemic stroke. And it actually happens a lot in intracranial hemorrhage. So often in that situation, your imaging studies can be negative you're still contemplating is to, should I give the patient thrombolytic while the patient is having a headache, meaning you're missing some kind of a potential hemorrhage in the brain. And that's one potential pitfall that our imaging studies can often miss or not being helpful. Uh, there are other conditions that mimicking stroke that we, we need to be very careful with. For example, a patient with a potential seizure or epileptic condition and in that condition, they will have focal neurological deficit. And you wonder if your diagnosis can be accurate uh, with the uh, imaging studies, which is often negative, while clinically they may look the same. And we mentioned before that patient would be having either syncope 
or TRA even, a warning sign of stroke, may mimic a stroke that then often can be missed or uh, confusing with your diagnosis. Uh, I would just say that with the clinical manifestation and the help of imaging studies, majority of diagnosis can be pretty accurate. Uh, but there are these some challenging cases such as we mentioned glucose conditions up or down, epileptic conditions, TI, syncopes, uh, or even we call them stroke mimics. There are people who are having, uh, we call them the conversion disorders or somatization disorders. That is a psychological condition manifested as a neurological deficit. And those things we need to be careful and differentiate uh, before you call the shot, if the patient is having a stroke or not. Okay, thank you very, very much. That's very helpful. Let's move on to management now. You, you mentioned thrombolysis. Um, what would be the indications of thrombolysis? Uh, the good thing about treating ischemic stroke is that we can use thrombolytics to treat con this condition. But the caveat is that it has to be given quick. So if you delay the presentation by the patient, delay the treatment by the caregiver, then the risk will go high, the benefit will go down. And so thrombolysis uh, is a good way, approved way worldwide to treat acute ischemic stroke. Uh, if you give it IV, in, at least in certain countries, uh, it is proved to be given within four and a half hours of onset. Uh, there are trials, actually, in uh, the United States, we can now give up to 10 hours with certain restrictions. That is using strictly intravenous thrombolysis with LT-place. Uh, so the time window of treating acute ischemic stroke with LT-place can now be expanded to nine to 10 hours, but the best result comes within three hours of onset. Okay, thank you. And it would be contraindicated, I guess, in people with an ischemic stroke or bleeding somewhere else or, or patients with a, a tendency to bleed. Would there be any other contraindications or are those the main ones? We do believe there are some contraindications, for example, the big one is there is a hemorrhagic condition in the brain identified by CT or MRI. Certainly, if the patient has any ongoing hemorrhagic conditions or hematologically some deficiencies, such as very low platelet counts, uh, or recently had a major surgery or trauma, or somewhere an operation that is a site of non-compressible, uh, you have to be careful with that because if there's a hemorrhagic condition start to develop, then often it'll be difficult to stop. Uh, but other than those, we would say that, um, that there's not much of a, a long list of contraindication for thrombolysis. Uh, I'm a proponent of treating patient because uh, in many ways that brain cells, when they die, they cannot come around. And certain hemorrhagic conditions, such as GI bleed uh, or surgical site in a knee, for example, it potentially can be treatable. 
But once you pass that window of opportunity to treat the brain, they'll be gone forever. Um, nowadays, as you know, we can put a catheter in the artery in the brain to take out that clot. We, we do so-called thrombectomy. And that can avoid potentially using thrombolytics or directly go after the blockage or clot. And that can avoid and many other complications such as uh, hematological deficiencies or hemorrhagic conditions or post-operative conditions. Uh, okay, thank you. And and moving on to thrombectomy, the, the things you mentioned, would they, they be the indications for thrombectomy? Is, is that correct? Yes, that is one advantage of some thrombectomy is that you can potentially avoid using the IV thrombolytic agent. Uh, but thrombectomy also comes in with some limitations. First of all, you need to identify the clot that is large enough, or we call them large vessel occlusion or LVO, that you can go after to retrieve it. If it's in the too far end of the middle cerebral artery, like in the division of the middle cerebral artery, where you cannot reach, you certainly cannot go there to, and to do the thrombectomy, to drag out or take out the clot. So there has to be a, a site, a blockage that is reachable uh, by endovascular treatment. And, but also uh, there's a time window limit. And that is up to 24 hours we can perform such treatment. And then if it is passing the six hours of onset, that requires a multimodality imaging study to show that the brain is still having some tissue that is salvageable. Uh, that mismatch has to be identified along with the LVO or large vessel occlusion identified, then you can call the thrombectomy. If none of these conditions met, then the treatment could be potentially futile or more complication be associated with. Okay, thank you. Besides these treatments, what are the other treatments for acute ischemic stroke? Is, is aspirin still indicated? Good question, Kieran. Aspirin actually is not quite indicated in acute ischemic stroke. Uh, this is uh, because, uh, how do I put it this way? To resolve the clot, uh, to resolve the clot, the most effective way of treating that is altiplase or thrombolysis. The other agent is tenecteplase. The genetic alteration of the altiplase to make a new form of thrombolytic agent called tenecteplase. And that is in a large trial showing almost a similar efficacy as altiplase in patients with minor strokes if you treated them within four and a half hours. Now, tenecteplase has also been treated, uh, been studied in two trials uh, called the extended IATNK and the extended IATNK2. That is, in the situation of a patient with large vessel occlusion, then you should give a thrombolytic agent within four and a half hours, followed with thrombectomy. And that first part of a treatment used to be altiplase. Now, within, uh, now studied by these two trials, it was felt that tenecteplase is as effective potentially maybe more effective than altiplase if you use that instead of altiplase as first part of treatment 
of that bridging trial. And so that is the new agent is on the horizon. In fact, many healthcare systems in the United States, not sure in Europe or Australia, are replacing Altiplace with the Tenecteplace to some extent. And that is uh, something we need to watch out to see how that is widely being used. It is also in at least uh, seven trials to be studied for its use for expanded time window. And uh, so the use of aspirin in acute ischemic condition uh, was studied in the uh, international stroke trial. Um, the benefit is very, very marginal. Uh, so uh, we say that in acute phase, the best treatment is still thrombolytics and not using aspirin. Um, and there are no other agent uh, so far proven beyond the th uh, thrombolysis or thrombectomy to treat acute ischemic stroke. Uh, okay, uh, and and I believe that aspirin is then given twenty four hours after alteplase. Is is that correct? Yes, the uh, use of aspirin, as in uh, and also other antiplatelet agents, are for the purpose of mostly prevention of another stroke. So secondary prevention, and it is indicated either alone or in combination with other antiplatelet agents. Okay, thank you. And if somebody was allergic to or intolerant of aspirin, what would you give in its place? There are other alternatives of antiplatelet agents instead of aspirin that you can consider. One is called clopidogrel. Clopidogrel 75 milligrams a day has been proven to be superior to aspirin in the trial called the Capri trial. That cerebral, uh, that, that clopidogrel aspirin in recurrent ischemic stroke trial showed that 75 milligrams clopidogrel is superior to aspirin uh, for patients with ischemic stroke for the prevention of another stroke. That is one choice. The other choice is an agent that is just recently published and studied in the past two years. It's called Ticagrelor or Ticagrelor, uh, depends on how you pronounce it. That is also an agent that is similar to clopidogrel, but not as quite the same. And also Ticagrelor has been used in the myocardial infarction. But the way that it's been used in stroke was just recently being discovered uh, by two major trials one is called Thales trial. That is a trial that compared to Cagrilor plus aspirin versus aspirin for 30 days, showed the benefit that a combination treatment is superior to aspirin. But then in that case, you have to use aspirin with it. Now, the other trial that is actually showing the benefit is the Salastazole. It's an old drug, but it is also a drug of uh, having antiplated properties. It has been extensively studied, extensively studied in Japan with the, its CSPS uh, trial only at two and CSPS.com trial in the recent times, which show that salazazole is beneficial and is a little bit superior to aspirin in secondary stroke prevention. Also, salazazole plus other agents such as clopidogrel is also superior to use clopidogrel or salazazole alone. 
So that gives other choices if someone is allergic to aspirin. Okay, thank you. And if for some reason thrombolysis was contraindicated, would you give aspirin on its own? First choice should be considering thrombectomy because you can avoid uh, thrombolysis. But if you have no other options, uh, let's say you're in a very remote area, has no access to thrombolysis or thrombectomy, then in the acute phase, you could consider using aspirin. Now the dose, I would say, is different and also controversial. And in that case, probably at least 325 milligram to about 650 is indicated rather than a smaller dose of aspirin. Okay, thank you. And when would you start a high-intensity statin? The high-intensity statins defined, uh, I would say, differently by probably different countries or practitioners in different countries. Uh, in the United States, it's considered uh, 80 milligrams of etorvastatin. Now, uh, I did not mention resuvastatin. is because resuvastatin is not well-studied in stroke. But the Torvastatin is extensively studying stroke, so is the, uh, the uh, simvastatin. Okay, simvastatin. So I would say a high-intensity, uh, high-dosage of, uh, of statins for Torvastatin should be 80 milligram. For simvastatin should be 40, because uh, you cannot go above 40. There's a black label warning. And the reason we do that is that there is one trial called SPARCO trial is to study stroke prevention with the Torvastatin, which showed that a, a, a person with an average LDL level of 121 milligram per deciliter in your system, and you have a ischemic stroke, then 80 milligram showed a significant benefit in preventing you from having another stroke. So high intensity statin to us is 80 milligrams. Or in other countries, they're considered to be 40 milligram etorvastatin. Uh, but the reason we use that is because of a trial. Okay, and, and when would you start statins? Statins should be started uh, during the hospitalization. Uh, that means that this event takes place. Uh, once the acute phase is over, the uh, statins should be considered to be started. Okay, thank you. And last question on, on management, venous thromboembolism prophylaxis. Tell us about that. Venous thromboembolism or venous thrombosis, especially in deep vein venous thrombosis, deep vein thrombosis, meaning that when a person with stroke is bed bedridden or paralyzed, hence their limb cannot move, they're prone to form deep uh, venous thrombosis or DVT. And the prophylactic treatment of that uh, currently is of some controversy. There, are, There is one good trial called PREVAIL trial compared the uh, low molecular weight uh, heparin uh, in noxaparin versus conventional heparin in patient with after stroke with the venogram identified uh, uh, DVT to compare in the two agents in patients with ischemic stroke uh, using venogram to track if 
which patient will develop EVT. It turned out to be that enoxaparin arm is more superior to the heparin in prevention of the DVT. However, it did not affect the overall outcome or the uh, the uh, the mortality or or uh, or uh, other functional d d uh, improvement, meaning that you may prevent uh, DVT, but the uh, the chance of having potential other complications turn out to be not different. There's no difference. So there's controversy as to uh, should we routinely use uh, subcutaneous heparin or subcutaneous enoxaparin with DVT prophylaxis. But it is currently as actually being practiced throughout the world for that purpose, in addition to potentially sequential uh, compressing uh, uh, stockings to help preventing the formation of DVT. So hence, um, even though there's some controversy, but yet uh, the use of the these two agents for DVT prophylaxis is still in practice. Okay. Thank you very much, David. That's a very comprehensive overview of diagnosis and management of ischemic stroke. And thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you wish to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and look at the content on this and other relevant diseases. Thank you once again.